Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 120 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. This is going to be a great show. This show, I believe, marks nine world champions in our last seven shows. And this show especially, it's not just world champions. We're talking multi-weight world champions. One of them is a two-weight world champion. The other guy is a four-weight world champion. It is going to be big. And of course, there's many, many things to do on this show, including the latest news, the reviews, the previews. Anyway, let's get straight into that. Let's start with the reviews from last weekend. A couple places to visit in terms of venues and countries and the rest of it. I'm going to start over in the Crown Plaza Hotel in Glasgow, Scotland. One fight to mention over here, Gary Cornish, he proceeded to 25-2 and with a knockout in the first round against David Howe. So David Howe now 14-7. and I did say on last week's show, I found it quite odd that David Howe had a fight lined up for a couple weeks after this fight. Because I really felt that Cornish would probably beat him. And Cornish knocked him out in the very first round. So I'm not quite sure if he's still going ahead with the proposed fight. But it is what it is. All the very best to David Howe. Seems like a decent guy. And by the way, that's the guy who uh, Dave Allen got on the you know on the stage with when he was weighing in. And he put all those pairs of socks down his pants and made his you-know-what look huge. So... Um, yeah, that's, that's the guy, David Howe, unfortunately lost here against Gary Cornish. Moving over now to the Grey Eagle Resort and Casino. Zab Judah had his 53rd professional fight, and he won. It was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. It was pretty much a shutout over a guy called Noel Rincon, who's now 21-14 and 14 with one draw. No great shakes him. And Zab Judah, for whatever reason, is back in action there. So um, all the very best to Zab. Seems like a nice guy once again. All the very best to him. Moving over now to the Arena Riga in Riga, Latvia. This one, of course, the first semi-final of the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Tournament. Um, I'm going to just look at the 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 undercard here. Um, Otto Wallin moved to 19-0. and 0. That's a heavyweight prospect from Sweden, if I'm not mistaken. He got a KO in three rounds against a guy who was only 6-5. and five. Um, also on this bill, our very own Tom Little went over to Latvia, took on, I think the guy's an Olympian, if I'm not mistaken, called Filip Hergovic, and Tom Little put up a very brave effort, he went four rounds, but unfortunately got TKO'd, so Tom Little now 10-5, and five. and this guy here, Hergovic, I think he's an Olympian, I stand to be corrected if I'm wrong with anything, he moves to 3-0, and oh, so quite a decent uh, a decent opponent, I suppose, there for just his third fight. Moving up the bill once again, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna talk about the main event on this one. Maris Breedis putting his WBC World Cruiserweight title on the line, 23 and 0 record on the line, also. And in the other corner, the great Ukrainian. Alexander Usyk, 13 and 0, putting his WBO World Cruiserweight title on the line. Wow, it was, it was a really, 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 really good fight. Um, I'm going to just break it down quickly as, um, well not so quickly because a lot happened. It was a great first round. That's the first and foremost thing. The first round was a really, really great round. I think Breedis was landing single shots but getting through with really good stiff jabs and tricky right hands. Usyk was throwing in combinations but he wasn't really landing much. He kept being backed up early on Usyk which was quite surprising really. Um, You know, Breedis was on the front foot for really the entirety of the first two or three rounds. Definitely, I felt that Breedis was ahead after three or four rounds for sure. I mean, he was just pressing the fight correctly. Usyk was staying in the pocket a little bit too long and being caught repeatedly, um, you know, 
just brilliant rounds early on. Breedis, again, I think maybe the second round started really, really well, finished really well, but Usyk kind of had a few moments here and there in the middle of the rounds. It was it was one of those kind of rounds where you almost forget Usyk's good work in the middle of it. But yeah, Usyk was being made to cover up many times, really had to be on his defence, you know. Usyk, um, you know, he come and met Breedis in, in the middle of the ring. He was putting it on Breedis. I think that happened around about the third round, something like that. Um, you know, there was there was a few close rounds in there. The third and fourth round I've noted as, as being very close rounds. You know, he, he showed me a lot of variety in his work, Breedis. I mean, I've I've been a little bit critical of him before. I think maybe I've I've kind of felt that he was a little bit one-dimensional. But for me, he was really showing a lot of variety in his work. He really does possess a lovely, lovely, sneaky left hook as well. A lot of power he gets on it as well. He was pulling out some Lomachenko moves as well. He was doing that thing where he pulls your guard down with one hand and lands a shot over the top with the other. Really clever stuff. Usyk landed a really brilliant shot in round five, but Breedis landed a combination in return. I remember that one. That was a few good punches in that round there, round five. Usyk seemed to be the better conditioned fighter though as the fight went on kind of thing. In the fifth round, Usyk really turned the tables. He was constantly on the front foot. You know, Breedis seemed to unravel a tiny little bit. He got a bloody nose in that fifth round as well. And even after five, after five rounds, I've actually noted it here. I had it 3-2 in favour of Breedis. I mean, the sixth round, we saw Breedis push Usyk down on the canvas. Obviously, it wasn't a knockdown. The round for me was a Usyk round. But Breedis came on strong in the latter part of that round as well. Halfway through the fight... Neither fighter had really shown us a glimpse of surrender just at that point. And throughout the whole fight, really, I mean, Usyk had a fantastic round in round seven. And that was really where I saw the tide kind of turn a little bit. But no, I mean, Breedis, Breedis came back on some of those rounds as well. Round eight and nine were really close. Round nine was a funny round. I mean, the best five or six punches of that round were all landed by Breedis, but you'd probably have to give it to Usyk on work rate. You know, Usyk was relentless, like we've seen many, many times before in the pro ranks. You know, he seemed to kind of undo Breedis's clever work. You know, undo his, his his clever work with those good punches that he landed. But yeah, the rounds were really close, especially in the late in the late part of the fight. Going into the last round, I definitely had it close, but I felt that Usyk was probably edging it by one maybe two maximum and I also thought that the location of the fight could play a little part in the judges you know in the judges uh, on the judges scorecards but yeah the 12th round was a perfect round to end what had been such a brilliant fight amazing action constantly unbelievable display from both the fighters Usyk started brilliant in that 12th and Bradis ended really well but the majority of the fight I mean, it was in reverse because Bradis started so well and Usyk ended so well. And in the final round, Usyk started so well and Bradis ended so well. It was a really strange one. But, um, yeah, there were so many tight rounds in there. I won't won't carry on too much. But for me, I wasn't... I mean, I was scoring it. But as the fight went on, there was a few close rounds. I kind of, you know, faded away from my scorecard. And I had in my gut like a maybe one or two rounds to Usyk at the end. That was the way I saw it. But a brilliant fight nonetheless and exactly what we want to see in these tournaments and just in boxing in general, to be honest. What did you make of that fight, Ayaz? What did I make of the fight? What can I say? What a fight it was. Big credit to Marius Bredis. He put in a very tough, tough fight. Uh, time's off. Marius Bredis was winning the fight, right, to be honest, right? But Usyk, it's with him. It's his, it's his jab. Um, what can I say? It came very, very close. And to be fair, Usyk won the fight. And I, um, I have to give big credit to Usyk. Very, very good fighter. And I think he'll win the tournament, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I think I agree with that. Just to um, just to go over it once again, it was a majority decision in favour of Alexander Usyk over 12 rounds. One judge had it a draw. The other judge had, or the other two judges, had the same scorecard. Uh, that one was 1-1-3, 1-1-5 in favour of Usyk. Vladimir Klitschko was also in attendance, so was Lomachenko, some real stars in the house. Moving over now stateside to the forum, Inglewood, California, USA. Um, This one was shown on Box Nation. I'm going to start with the, I actually thought it was the main event, the Linares fight, but it seemed to be the co-main event. So yeah, Linares 43-3 took on Mercito Gesta, who was 31-1 with two draws. Linares was cut on his right eye in round eight as well. Um... 
I don't want to be overcritical. I mean, I wasn't really looking forward to this fight, and watching it, it did look like a bit of a sparring session. I was really finding it hard to, I mean, not just stay up, because it obviously was late on in the evening. I mean, the early morning, you could say, of Sunday. But, I mean, just the action, it just wasn't, it just wasn't capture, you know, capturing my attention. I mean, I was finding it really hard to carry on watching it. And we're going to see what Mikey Garcia looks like when he takes on Lippinets. But for me, it was just, I don't know, it didn't really pump up the, you know, the Garcia-Linares unification, which we're led to believe is supposed to be happening at some point in the summer. So, yeah, I mean, it was a relatively easy win for Linares, apart from being cut in that eighth round. He successfully defends his WBA World Lightweight title there. Uh, he moves to 44-3. and Masito Gesta now 31-2 and two with two draws. Ayas, do you want to say anything on that on that fight there between Linares and Gesta at all before we move on? Well done for Linares for winning the fight. I want to see him fight. He's now Vasil Lomachenko. Yeah, Vasil Lomachenko or Garcia, give me either. Moving down, or up the bill, I should say. Um, Lucas Martin Matisse, 38-4, and took on Tua Kiram, who was 38-0 and with 28 knockouts. A guy that hadn't fought out of Thailand. We weren't too sure if he was any good. Well, to be honest, he was quite good. I mean, it was for the vacant WBA World Welterweight title, of course, the regular version. Matisse was cut over his left eye in round four. And, you know, he was getting beaten to the punch a lot of the time. Kiram was also down twice in that eighth round where it was ultimately stopped. It was an eight-round KO for Lucas Matisse. But talking about the fight, I think Matisse found it very hard to work out Kiram. I, mean, I think Kiram watched a lot of the Postal fight. Um, you know, Kiram was using his size to his advantage very, very well. You could see that a lot. I mean, he, he really did he, he impress me. I think he's... He's quite a decent fighter. He was boxing and moving. He was holding a lot when Matisse was getting in close. He wasn't letting Matisse get in his groove, in his rhythm. Kiram was frustrating Matisse. It seemed like Matisse almost looked like he was evidently past his best in that ring for parts of that fight, for the majority of that fight, really. He looked like a shadow of his former self. And I wasn't scoring it, but I felt that Kiram was comfortably winning until that big finish in the eighth round. And that's the thing about Matisse fights. You can never count him out until it's until you know until it's over it's never over till it's over sort of thing simply because he's such a huge puncher but on closer inspection when he knocked kiram down the first time it was a one-two combination a left jab followed by a straight right which didn't land all that heavy in all honesty the straight right it was more of like a grazing shot the second knockdown and the fight finisher was a jab it was actually a jab it was a delayed reaction too. kiram got hit with a jab to the eye which this is the finishing punch, he got hit with a jab to the eye, and he actually fired back with his own right hand before falling on his back once again, and this time the referee waved it off. It seemed to me that the jabs were, you know, were, were the shots that actually hurt him in both of the knockdowns, and I think after the first knockdown, I didn't think he'd get up, because he got laid flat out, but then he jumped up like a jack-in-the-box, and the second knockdown, which was probably about 15 or 20 seconds later. He did well to survive that long. Um, again, it was a jab, like I say, the second knockdown, but it was too much for him to carry on after that after that second jab. And it really surprised me because although the two jabs that got landed for the two knockdowns landed quite heavy, it just didn't feel like they were jabs that would knock you down. But then again, I've seen Matisse hit people with what looks like a little tap to the head, really, and they've ended up unconscious. So he is like a little Kovalev in terms of power, another guy that can just put you to sleep with what looks like a tap. Um, Ayaz, any anything to say on on the Matisse fight? This is the last fight we will be reviewing. Uh, well, he's we've seen him fight Peterson the way he knocked out Peterson, but finally Matisse Matisse has won a world title. The last time I seen him fight, trying to fight for a world title was against Victor Postel where he he retired. But fair play, well done to uh, Lucas Matisse. Fight I want to see him fight now is against Amir Khan. Ooh, uh, you must not be a big Amir Khan fan, Ayaz, because remember if. If uh, if Matisse lands one, that is certainly over. I mean, he's one of the hardest punching guys pound for pound in the world for me in terms of, you know, single shot power. Um, I think there's a lot of fights out there for him. Obviously, he held the WBC interim 140 title for quite a while, a few defences, I think. And it was bizarre because that fight that you mentioned there against Lamont Peterson, Lamont Peterson was actually a champion at the time. 
and they did it at a catchweight or something where his belt wasn't on the line. And it just so happened that Matisse absolutely wiped the floor with Lamont Peterson. But it was just a great shame that, um, you know, that the title wasn't at stake really for him. But I also heard it was something to do with because he badly wanted to fight Danny Garcia. And he didn't want to lose his ranking with, I think it may have been the... Uh, I'm guessing the WBA or something like that. I can't remember which belt Garcia had at 140. But, yeah, it was mad because then he went on to lose against Garcia. So, yeah, strange, strange path he's gone on. But it has ended with a world title. And hopefully he can, you know, grab another win or two before he hangs up his gloves. But, yeah, it was a shame because he didn't look all that great, really. But he has got that legit power, as we've seen many, many times. I think he's something like 39 wins now with about 36 knockouts. He really is a monster puncher. Um, that That is it for the reviewing. So just before we wrap up part one, there's one last thing to do. It's to welcome our very first multi-weight world champion on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBC and WBA champion of the world, Mr. Badu Jack. Badu, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, sir. So, Badu, it's the first time that you've been on this show. I do just want to spend a moment just looking back at your unbelievable last few wins. I just want to reel off the last five people that you've shared a ring with. Anthony Durrell, you beat him. You took his O. George Groves, you beat him. Lucian Boutte, you, of course, drew with him, but then it was overturned for a win for you when he failed a doping test. Um, the epic draw with, with James DeGaulle, which was one of the best fights of 2017, and then ending the year by moving up in weight and taking on Nathan and cleverly ripping away his title and absolutely beating the hell out of him and that's coming from a British person by the way saying that but tell me Badu which of those five fights there was the most enjoyable and which one was the least enjoyable for you? Uh, when I fought Anthony Darrell when I won the title the first title that I won that was probably the most enjoyable one uh, the least uh, was probably against James DeGale because I felt I won clearly I was landing more than 100 punches more than him and you know it was a beatdown, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a very uh, you know epic fight, like I say. And also, I just want to get on to uh, I just want to get your word on this one just quickly. Um, I don't know if you saw James DeGaulle's last fight; he lost to Caleb Truax. I was sat there ringside, and all the media ringside were basically saying that perhaps Badu Jack has ruined James DeGaulle. Perhaps Badu Jack has you know beat the the good fighter out of James DeGaulle because we didn't see it against Truax. Do you believe that you could have possibly ruined James DeGaulle, Badu? Um, a little bit. I think it's a combination of, of uh, all the tough fights that he had. But I, I, get, uh, I believe my fight with him was the toughest Definitely. of his career. And, uh, uh, yeah, boxing is a tough sport. You know, he might never be the same. Or, you know, or he might need some more time, maybe change trainer or whatever. But you got to give uh, Caleb, uh, Caleb Truax uh, some credit. Because he fought a great fight, he was handpicked, you know, as an opponent, like a tune-up fight, but he still came out, uh, you know, on top. So, so uh, I know, I know that guy too. He's a he's a great guy, and he deserved, uh, you know, credit. Yeah, certainly. He definitely um, was the rightful winner. We had him on the show a couple of weeks back, and uh, yeah, great, great guy. Moving on to what's next for you, Badu. I know that you'll be fighting on May 19th in Canada against the WBC light heavyweight champion, Adonis Stevenson. Adonis is a man that, over in the UK... He's got a bit of a reputation as kind of staying away from the big threats in the division. So all the UK fans were delighted when the fight was made. We're happy to see you fighting him. You're a genuine threat. What do you know about Adonis Stevenson, the fighter, though, Badu? Uh, he's a he's a good fighter. He's uh you know the lineal champion. He's a one of the biggest punchers in, in in boxing in any weight class. So you know he he's a, has a, avoided a lot of you know top names and stuff. But he can still fight, so he's still dangerous. And, and But I believe uh, I have what it takes to beat him. But uh, it's going to be a good fight. And I know that it took it took quite a while, really, a little bit longer than expected to actually get this fight finally agreed. Are you able to talk about what delayed the, the fight being made at all? No, to be honest, I don't. I mean, it's, it's always like that in, in boxing. Even my fight with James Miguel, we were... You know, supposed to fight probably six months before we fought. But, yeah, that's uh, true, yeah. you know, it happens. But it, the main thing is that the fight, uh, you know, will happen now in May. But, uh, you know, I, I actually called him out. I wanted to, to fight him. I asked for the fight right after the James DeGale fight. 
know, in, in January last year. So, yeah, better late than never. Yeah, it certainly is. And as we all know, Adonis is a southpaw. Two of your last three opponents, James DeGaulle and Lucian Boutte, have both been southpaws. Do you believe that those fights are ideal preparation before taking on a fighter like Adonis? I mean, they're totally different uh, opponents. He's a way bigger puncher than, than James DeGaulle and, and probably Lucian Boutte as well. But still, there's still the look, the southpaw look would probably help me a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a total different opponent. You talk about Adonis's power there. Do you believe this is the most dangerous fight of your career thus far? Is he going to be the hardest puncher you've, you know, you've faced? Uh, as far as power, I think he's the hardest puncher. But that, that don't mean he's the most dangerous fighter. But yeah. uh, you know, that don't mean it's going to be the toughest fight either, you know. But uh, you know, definitely the hardest puncher, I, b- I believe. But but also the guys that he's been knocking out, they definitely not on my level. So so uh, we have to wait and see the fight night. I just want to ask you also, who is the hardest puncher that you faced in a pro ring? Because looking at your record, I'd probably say George Groves must be quite up there. Um, yeah, he didn't really hit me clean. Like like I didn't really feel his power like that. But he he's a solid puncher and and. He has a good jab, and yeah, his fight was probably one of the toughest fights that I had. But um, yeah, he he had decent power. And that fight, actually, nothing, 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 nothing like Adonis, I don't think. But no. uh, you know, he's a decent puncher. Yeah, and 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 that that actual fight that uh, that I just mentioned there, going off topic a tiny little bit, we've always wanted to see James DeGaulle and George Groves fight each other. It seems like it's probably never going to happen now. But you are one of the few people, I think maybe even the only person, to have shared the ring with both of them. Who do you believe is the better fighter? If they were to fight, who would you who would you favor in you know in that fight? Uh, it's it's really hard. I've been thinking about it. I, I've been asked that question a lot of times. I mean. It's hard to say, you know, who's in their prime, and you know, when both at, at their top. Uh, I don't know. I think Degel is probably more like uh, athletic, and 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 uh, Gross is probably probably the bigger puncher, and and he has a better jab also. Yeah. But uh, no, it's, it's, it could go either way. And we've had a bunch of Mayweather promotions fighters on our podcast before. We've had Javante Davis. We've had, uh, you know, Ashley Fiafane, Ishay Smith, Jay Leon Love, probably one or two others that I've, that, I've, that I've possibly forgot. They've all been given an expensive gift from Floyd Mayweather, usually a car. Has Floyd ever bought you an expensive present? If so, what was it, Badu? Uh, yeah, he's, he's been giving me a car uh, in the beginning of my career. <laughs> he gave me a... a, a Diamond Rolex when I when I uh, won the title uh, the first time, yeah he's he's been uh, taking care of his fighters absolutely he's a, he's a he's a great guy and he yeah I'm glad to have him as a promoter. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Coming down to the last couple of questions now, Badu. Um, I want to ask you this. You may not want to give it to us. It's completely up to you. Have you got any kind of prediction how you're going to win your fight come May nineteenth? I always going to try to knock my opponent out. You know, it's easier said than done. But uh, you know, I feel way stronger uh, light heavyweight, so I believe I have we have more power and uh, be stronger at light heavyweight, so a little more energy. So, you know, I'm not going up to Canada to to be robbed again. You know, I'm I'm going out there to take him out. But you know, it's easier said than done. You know, yeah. Well so said. hopefully uh, we'll stop the fight. Well said. Well said. And I want to ask you this: We have to ask this question to all of our, uh, all the, all the people that we interview overseas. We like to ask, who's your favourite UK fighter of any era? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit there, and I'm banning one name off the list. You cannot say Ashley Fearfane. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit! That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> probably Lennox Lewis. Yeah, he counts as a British fighter, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know, I know he's fought for Canada and he's Jamaican, but yeah, probably him. I might have got somebody, but you know, I, I like I like Anthony Joshua as well. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, w- I would say Lennox Lewis. 
Yeah, Lennox Lewis is a very popular answer, yeah. to be honest. A lot of people say him. And finally, Badu, just before we let you go, I just want to give you an opportunity to send out a message to your UK fans. Obviously, you've got a load of supporters in the UK, I'm sure. And, you know, you've got a fantastic uh, fantastic uh, name over here, of course. Everybody knows that you'll pretty much fight everybody. What's your message to the to the Badu Jack the Ripper fans from the UK? Uh, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate, uh, uh, you know, all the UK fans. They They... Out of every fans in the world, I think they've been showing me the most love. And and uh, you know when I was there in, in May last year, and they and they, they stopped me everywhere I went. So uh, no, I love the UK fans. I, I will actually love to fight there one day. But now I, I beat all the fighters at super middleweight and, and light heavyweight. So <laughs> I don't know who's left there. But I, I don't I don't have to fight no Brits now. Maybe they accept me from like one of their own. So maybe I can fight somebody else from somewhere else and just have the fight in the UK. <laughs> that, that 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 thing you just mentioned there about coming over here last May, I was one of those people. I don't know if you remember this. I'm going to just ask you it right now. I came up to you and Ashley Fiafane ringside for the Javante Davis fight, and we took a selfie. I was in the middle of you two. Do you remember that? Uh, nah. Uh, <laughs> that's too so many <laughs> <laughs> No worries, no worries. All right, listen, Badu. <laughs> It's been a pleasure, my friend, interviewing you. It really has. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for May 19th, and we'll catch up sometime after, I'm sure. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the preview part. But as always, we go over to the Trevor McDonald of the boxing world, Mr. Ayers. Sumra Ayers, what have you got for us this week? The big news is Amir Khan's fight has been announced and that he will take on Philip Legreco. Yeah, Phil LaGreco, a guy that I suppose is not a huge name over in the UK. I mean, you know, he's not a household name by any means, by any stretch of anyone's imagination. But he is a guy that the hardcores will know quite well. Obviously, he's a Canadian guy. Um, If you look at his resume, I mean, it's not a terrible one, but he just about gets in BoxRec's top 100. He's actually ranked number 99. And a little fact for you here, he hasn't made the 147 limit, Ayaz, since, I think it was 2010. I'm just checking, yes, it was 2010. And it was in June. By the time the fight rolls round, he would have gone over seven and a half years that he hasn't made 147. So that's that's an awful sign going into a fight like this. When you look at the the names on his resume, who has he really beaten? I'm struggling to kind of find a name really on there that I'd say, okay, that's a good win. He took on Sean Porter. He lost every round to Sean Porter. He took on Errol Spence. He got cleaned out in three rounds. You know, aside from that, he lost in not his last fight, but the fight before that, he lost a unanimous decision to a guy who was 15 and 2. Um, and that guy lost to, you know, I don't want to be horrible, but nobody's really. He lost to Aaron Martinez and Javier Molina. I don't even know who Javier Molina is, but um, yeah, not great fighters this guy has lost to, to be completely honest. So I don't. I don't really think it's it's a great opponent. Um, talking about the press conference, Ayers, that happened earlier this week, obviously, did you happen to see that little clip where Amir Khan threw the, the glass of water over Fula Greco? Oh, yes, I did. And this is the first time I've seen Amir Khan actually throw a glass of water at someone. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, the thing what I saw, if you watch it, Amir Khan has about four or five looks at his glass of water before he throws it. And I'm just wondering if... You know, he was waiting for the right moment to throw the glass of water. He actually was laughing at some of the things that Phil LaGreco was saying. But don't get me wrong, he said some certainly, um, you know, distasteful stuff and stuff that would or could provoke you into doing something like that. But I don't know, man. It's it's weird. I, even if I had a you know a glass of water in front of me, I would not think about picking it up and throwing it at someone. The first thing you'd do if it really pushed your buttons, surely is to hit the person, especially if you're a boxer. Do you know what I mean? So I find it a little bit hard to, to believe that these things that we see are always real. And obviously it clashes. It's the same night as the frampton Donaire, um fight as well, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, they've they got to do something to try and get some eyes on their channel, I suppose. But, yeah, I mean, I like Amir Khan. And, you know, he's been out the ring for what's going to be, I think, just under two years or something by the time the fight rolls around. So I'm giving him a pass, really. You know, he's 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 certainly shown that he's got huge balls and he will fight anybody. So we'll give him a pass on this one. Um, you know, it's not a great opponent, but 
what can you really expect after two years out, I think. So, yeah, we'll give him a pass. Canelo vs Golovkin has been announced on Cinco de Mayo, May 5th. Yes, obviously we all knew that the rematch had to happen. It's the biggest money fight for both guys, you'd feel. Um, the first fight being so controversial, it's fantastic that we're getting an instant rematch. Sometimes there can be a really controversial decision and then both guys go and do their own thing they go their separate ways someone loses someone has a close fight with someone else and then you know it can all it can all kind of jeopardize what may happen when they meet again or if they meet again you know down the line so I'm happy that both men are getting straight back in there it made sense for everybody it made sense money wise and it made sense for all boxing fans casual or hardcore and I just cannot wait for it. But for me, even though I'd love Golovkin to do it, I've just got a feeling that that little bit of time there, I think that, you know, Triple G has kind of, I don't want to say got one foot out the door, but I think he's coming to the end a little bit. I'm pretty sure he's slowed down a bit now. And I think that Canelo's getting better and better by the day. So for me, I definitely favour Canelo at this stage. But, you know, I really hope I'm wrong because Triple G is one of my favourite fighters in the world. O'Hara Davis has signed with Frank Warren. Yeah, it was a bit of a shock. Obviously, you know, we know about this little um, incident that he had with Eddie Hearn and Tommy Coyle and the Sun newspaper and all the rest of it. I understand that what he actually originally said wasn't even anything to do with the, the Hillsborough thing. It was something to do with some guy in Tommy Coyle's gym um, who'd been arrested and, you know, named in the Sun or something like that. So apparently it was a dig you know, about his, his mate or whatever getting arrested. So yeah, it wasn't even anything to do with the Hills, but that's what I'm hearing. Um, you know, if that is the case, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent sure cause everybody's saying something different, but if that is the case, then it's really quite petty. Um, you know, to, to think that a big, big thing's been made out of this. Listen, if he said something about Hillsborough, then, you know, obviously whether he knew what he was saying or not, then it's a bad thing. You don't say things like that, but if it wasn't even anything to do with that, and I always kind of struggled to find the connection between Tommy Coyle being from Hull and the Hillsborough disaster. So, yeah, if it was just simply something about his, you know, one of his friends who who, who works in his gym or whatever it is, then it's, it's ridiculous, to be honest. Um, you'd have to even say, and I'm not saying that Eddie Hearn's all about money or anything like that, or or maybe he's all about loyalty, to be honest, but... Um, you'd have to say, if, if you were going to favour one, if you had to kick one and stay with the other one, you'd definitely have to kick Tommy Coyle because O'Hara Davies, whether he's liked or hated, you know, whether his fan base is bigger or smaller than Tommy Coyle's, Tommy Coyle is a fighter that doesn't have many fights left in him. O'Hara Davies is obviously still on the come up. He's only got the one loss. It was to a fantastic Josh Taylor. So let's not take much away from O'Hara. But yeah, he signs with Frank Warren. We all thought it may happen. Frank Warren would have absolutely loved doing that because, you know, he's, if you like, kind of stole one of Eddie Hearn's prospects there. And um, yeah, I quite like it. I really do quite like it. I think he's changed trainer as well. I can't remember who he's with now. But um, all the very best to O'Hara, man. He's been on the show a few times, and our listeners know the real O'Hara. He's a nice guy. He truly is. The venue for um, Josh Warrington and Lee Selby has been announced, and that it'll be at Ellen Road. Yes, obviously the home of Leeds United Football Club. There was a few rumours whether it was going to be there or not, and... You know, I'm pleased with the news. It's it's another open air, um, you know, sporting event. Obviously, sporting events happen there, open air every week with the football. But I mean, it's another boxing open air event, which doesn't happen too much, especially over in the UK where the weather's terrible. Hopefully, the weather holds up. By the way, Eddie Hearn's been extra lucky a few times with with his ones, and hopefully, the same luck goes here with Frank. But I like what he's doing, and you know, it just it just means there's more more space for bums on seats. Obviously, Josh. Warrington got a huge following from Leeds. It's the right place to put the fight. Hopefully, the place is a sellout. I really, really wish the whole event, you know, the best of success, really. But it's a brilliant fight, and I'm over the moon with it. And finally, Eris Landelara will fight Jarrett Hurd. Yes, that one is set to happen on April 7th. Obviously, it's a unification. Jarrett Hurd being the IBF champion, and Eris Landelara being the WBA champion. Um, have I got that right? I'm just trying to think. The WBO is, um, what's his name? The guy that beat Cotto completely slipped me. Saddam Ali. And who's got the WBC? Who's got the WBC at that way? Oh, that's, yeah, Jamal Charlo. Good one. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, see, we don't check things on the Box Hard podcast. It is all in the brain, even if it takes a few extra seconds just to collect it from a little pocket of space in my very small brain, I suppose. <laughs> uh, there's not many pockets. But, um, yeah, it's a brilliant fight. It's a unification. Obviously, Jarrett Hurd, I give him credit. He wants to fight all the big names, but I'm not quite sure he's picked out the biggest name um, or the best name here. And what I mean by that is... It's no easy fight. For me, Eris Landy Lara is the best fighter at 154, and I think that he will deal with Jarrett Hurd. I'm not saying easy, because Jarrett Hurd can really punch as well, but I think Lara should beat him. But yeah, credit to Jarrett Hurd, because I think he's the guy that's running around saying, I want the big fights, more so than Lara. I think that he really does want the big fights, and he really wants to prove himself. So to be honest, I give him a lot, a lot of credit for taking the fight, for pursuing the fight to begin with. But he was probably the one who initiated the dealings with it. And, you know, you you can't you got nothing but respect for a guy like that. And listen, may the best man win. He may win, and, you know, maybe Lara goes out the door. A lot of people will be happy with that, unfortunately, because he's not the most eye-catching boxer. But it's a brilliant fight, and I'm happy it's been made, along with a few a few great fights, to be honest, over the last seven days or so. That's it for the news. Okay, Ayers, thank you very much. 2018 really shaping up to be a fantastic year of boxing, just like 2017. Moving over now to the previewing, we're going to start over in Russia. It's again the World Boxing Super Series semi-final in the cruiserweight sector of the tournament. This is the final semi-final. Obviously, last week was the first one. This is the second and last one here. Um... On the undercard, though, there's a fight that I just want to mention here. It's for the WBA International Super Middleweight title. Fedor Chudinov, that's the former world champion, a man that lost the, I think it was the vacant title, to George Groves. So he didn't really lose it, but he lost the fight for the vacant title to George Groves, which George Groves has now got that WBA title. Well, anyway, um, Fedor Chudinov, 16-2, and two, takes on Bobby Gunn Jr., now, people will have heard that name. Bobby Gunn is a guy that I think he was campaigning at Cruiserweight for quite a while. I think he's had a handful of fights, including one against Roy Jones Jr., if I'm not mistaken, once upon a time. He's a big, big friend of the Tyson Fury camp. And this is his son, Bobby Gunn Jr., 9-0. and It's a humongous step up here. And may the best man win, because I really, really have got to admire the nuts, to be honest, of the Gunn family. They all take all these crazy fights and listen... If he's anything like his old man, then I'm sure he won't go down easy in this one. Also, the main event here for the IBF and WBA Super World Cruiserweight titles, Murat Gassiev, 25-0. and 0. He is... Is he the IBF champ? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's IBF. Yeah, I mean, Murat Gassiev, 25-0. and 0. Unia Dortikos, 22-0. and 0. He's got the WBA Super World Cruiserweight title. First and foremost, both men can punch. We've seen in the Cruiserweight tournament, you know, there has been a handful of decisions and there has been a handful of knockouts. Dortikos, the way he dealt with the Russian hammer last time out was really, really, really impressive for me. Obviously, overall, in those 22 wins, he's got 21 knockouts. But that win, like I say, against Kudryashov in the second round, he looked absolutely brilliant. He knocked out Kalenga before that. He's coming off of four knockouts in a row. You've got to go back to 2014 when he took on Edison Miranda, former opponent of Tony Bellew. That was the last time he went the distance. But since then, and he hasn't been overly active to be honest, but since then he's been putting people to sleep. We've gone to the prediction league on this also. But for me... Gassiev, I mean, Gassiev's only 24, people forget, because he looks much older. He's got 18 knockouts from his 25 wins. You know, he beat Wolodzic in the quarterfinals, who I don't really regard as a brilliant, brilliant fighter. He had a split decision win over Denis Lebedev back in 2016. You know, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. For me, I'm favouring... Dorticos, and it's not a very popular decision. I just think he's going to win. And of course, everybody saw that bit of footage where Dorticos is doing pad work with his pad man and he accidentally knocks the pad man out. I don't know if he meant to do it or if the guy was play acting or what, but that looked a bit crazy. Um, yeah, I as I'm going to ask you, what's your thoughts on this fight? And secondly, what your prediction is for this fight? I think it'll be a very good fight. Obviously, the winner's going to go on to fight Usyk, but. I haven't really seen both fighters fight before, but if I'm going to have to choose, I'll probably go with Dortikov as well. Because I see one of his fights and I think he was very, very good. But yeah, I'm going to go with Dortikov to win on Bayern uh, points. That is actually, looking at our 
our, our prediction league, um, you know, we asked the, the poll on, on Twitter. That is the least most popular opinion, Dortikos to win on points. I think a lot of people going with the knockout. Um, the the, the favourite here, according to our listeners, 38% went with Gassiev by knockout and 32% went with Dortikos by knockout. Um, only 24% going with Gassiev on points and just 6% going with Dortikos on points. So I'm going Dortikos knockout, you're going Dortikos points and the listeners going Gassiev points. Just to remind everybody, I will say at the end of the show what the current scores are. We should have done it last week because I predicted them all off air and got them all right, which was quite annoying. On the week where we didn't do the prediction league, I got some right for once. Um yeah, it's a fantastic fight. Like you say there, I think both men will be tested here um, against each other. It's definitely, you know, each man's hardest fight. I think Dortikos, if he wins this fight, and especially if he impresses, especially if he did something like knock Gassiev out, I think he's the bigger man as well. If he knocks Gassiev out, then I I think the Usyk and Dortikos fight could be really, really interesting. I'd still favour Usyk, but Dortikos really really can punch he's a cuban but he's not a southpaw those those are some of the most you know awkwardest cubans ever the ones that you think yeah he's definitely a southpaw no he's not <laughs> he hits you with the uh you know the big the big right backhand um yeah daughter can really crack so for me i think he wins that fight by knockout but yeah credit to the sourlands and all the rest of it i'm sure this fight is on itv box office but it's free for the uk viewers which is excellent stuff moving over now to the o2 arena i will be there in attendance this weekend um starting with the undercard charlie edwards 11 and 1 his opponent yet to be announced He's on the bill also. Um, Felix Cash, 7-0. His opponent yet to be announced. That's a six-rounder there. Uh, also on the bill, a pretty decent-ish fight, I suppose. Dorian Darch returns to the ring the first time after being blasted out by Daniel Dubois. His record, 12-6 and six with one draw. He's in a six-rounder against the undefeated heavyweight Nick Webb. That should be good for Nick Webb there. He needs to be on these bigger bills. He's been let down in a few big fights recently people pulling out of fights and fights falling out of bed and stuff like that. Danny Dignam, 4-0. He's in a six-rounder against Reese Pagan, 14-5. That's a step up for Danny Dignam. Josh Buatzi takes on a guy called Jordan Joseph, who's 7-1 with one draw. Obviously, Josh Buatzi, 3-0. That's a six-rounder there. Joshua Buatzi, everybody's massively high on him. You know, they're saying that he could be the most promising Olympian that's just turned over. And Obviously, I want to see him really, really tested. I know that it's early. I like what they're doing. This is another opponent with a winning record, I suppose. Uh, I mean, this guy hasn't been knocked out. The one loss was to Chris Hobbs. It was a close points loss. Chris Hobbs is a guy that got knocked out by Anthony Yard um, in like the fourth round or something like that. So, yeah, it's a steady step up, I suppose. Also on this bill, Paul Butler, 25-1. and one. He takes on a yet-to-be-announced opponent. That's an eight-rounder there. And now, with the three top fights and some good ones here, Reese Bellotti, 11-0, takes on Ben Jones, 22-6 and six with one draw. That's for the Commonwealth featherweight title. Obviously, Ben Jones, a friend of the show. He was on a few weeks ago. Really lovely guy, Ben Jones. Um... He's done it the hard way, you know, he's really done it the hard way, former WBO European champion, um, he's won a few other belts as well, and obviously Reese Bellotti, he's really putting people away that he perhaps shouldn't be, he's a really exciting little fighter, um, yeah, I think it's a brilliant step up to be honest, but the bad thing here, what you'd have to say is both men in their last fight took on the same guy, Ben Jones lost, very, very close points loss, which he thinks he definitely won, and Reese Bellotti got the knockout of, of the guy, his, his, his name slipped me. Once again, I'm going to that mind pocket for this one. Um, and now, the chief support, I suppose, Ted Cheeseman, 12-0, and 0, takes on the U.S. Dangerman, Carson Jones, the upsetter, 40-12 and 12 with three draws. This one's for the vacant WBA International Super Welterweight title. Ayaz, firstly, what's your thoughts on that fight? A huge, huge step up for Ted Cheeseman. Obviously, Carson Jones been over here and upset a few people. He he had that really close fight with Kel Brook, and then he lost the second time round. He come over here and knocked out Brian Rose, and then he lost in the rematch. It's a huge step up for Ted Cheeseman, especially Carson Jones, just having recently been robbed against former world champion Antonio Margarito. He's on a bit of form, and he's only 30, people forget. He's not too old. I thought he was about 45. He's only 30. 
Doesn't he? He trains. He trains with Abel Sanchez, doesn't he? First of all. Yeah. 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 Yes, I think um, I think it's a very I think it's a very big step up for Ted Cheeseman uh, that he's fighting Carson Jones. Obviously, we've seen Carson Jones fight in the UK and on numerous occasions, like you see, Kale Brewer, Brian Rose. He's lost to recently lost to Anthony Margarito, but a lot of people said that he got robbed. He Ted Cheeseman is, is is a very good fight, but I'm, it's a 50-50 fight. But if if I'm going to go for a win, I'm going to go for Ted Cheeseman because I think he's in the UK and I think he'll win by points. Yeah, and that is a popular decision. Um, that is actually what the listeners are going with as well. That's 46% of listeners going with Ted Cheeseman on points, 26% going with Cheeseman by KO, uh, just 17% going with Carson Jones by KO, and 11% going with Carson Jones on points. I am going to do the, uh, uh, what's the thing, like the unexpected decision which I always do I always go against the grain and sometimes it doesn't work most of the time it doesn't work but anyways I'm going with Carson Jones to win by knockout simply because he's fought much better opposition as we've all known um you know he's a tough rugged guy he can get deep if he needs to Ted Cheeseman hasn't had that test yet as a pro um Carson Jones has got 30 knockouts to his name very heavy-handed for me I'm going with the tricky veteran, as they say. I'm going with Carson Jones. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Because he's just got to stop. If he comes over here and knocks out one of our boys again, send him back and keep him over there. We don't need him coming over here and taking our prospects O's. So, um, yeah. All the very best to both men, especially Ted Cheeseman. But I am going with Carson Jones by a knockout. He certainly isn't to be overlooked. When that fight first got announced, people were going mad on Twitter saying it was a mismatch. I thought that was crazy. But yeah, it is what it is. And the main event here, this one's for the vacant WBA Continental Cruiserweight title. Lawrence Acoli in one corner, the former 2016 Olympian, 7-0. and His record at the moment, big puncher, as we all know. He's been training with Anthony Joshua, I think, and a few other guys. Guys, I think he's been training with the GB boys. Isaac Chamberlain, he's just got back from the USIC camp over in Ukraine. I think it's the second time he's been out there. His record 9-0. and Both men undefeated. Somebody's O's got to go. And more importantly, there's a belt on the line here. So things are really getting serious. And I'm really happy that both men have took this fight. Because they really didn't need to. Um, it's, it's very early on for two guys like this. Who really haven't haven't really even reached title level yet. To put it all on the line, I mean, this is the first title that they're fighting for. Obviously, Isaac Chamberlain, you know, he was a Southern Area champion, but I'm talking like English, British titles, stuff like that. I'm not knocking the Southern Area belt at all, but yeah. Um, it's a 12-rounder. It's a 12-rounder. I mean, it's it's a really interesting fight. Obviously, Lawrence Okoli himself, and we should note this, this could play a factor here. Lawrence Okoli himself, the longest he's gone in terms of rounds is the sixth round. That was back in in uh, in September. He went six rounds with Blaze Menduo. He had his man down in the fourth round, though. And aside from that, he's got six knockouts in his other fights. Um... Isaac Chamberlain, I mean, he's he's not really known as a big puncher. Four knockouts from nine wins. He's been the distance a couple of times, mainly over four rounds. His first four professional fights were all four rounders. He went the distance in all four of them. And obviously, most recently, the time he went the distance was when he went points with Wadi Camacho in a thrilling fight at York Hall for the Southern Area title, the one where Chamberlain dislocated his shoulder. But since that fight, he's knocked out everybody's fault. Three wins, three knockouts. It's a brilliant fight, Ayers, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're really happy. All the hardcores, especially, really, really happy with this fight being made. They didn't really need to take this fight, I didn't feel. Obviously, um, like you said, it's a very good fight. For me, it's, I personally think it's a 50-50 fight. Why? Because with Akoli, he's got a lot of amateur, amateur pedigree. He's gone on to spot Joshua. Whereas Isaac Chamberlain, you don't... Like, obviously, we've seen uh, videos of Lance Akoli sparring. But when you see... I. Uh, you don't see videos of Isaac Chamberlain sparring because he, he doesn't like to show it. But have you seen it? He sparred the likes of in the future past. Deontay Wilder. He's gone to spar Usyk. Usyk again. He's gone Usyk. Um, sparred Joshua as well. Marius Wack. Was it Wack? Who's the other one? Polish one. Um, Masternak. Oh, Masternak. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's trained with sparred with Masternak. Did you, did you happen to see that video they did, the promo video, where Isaac Chamberlain said, when I'm done with a Coley, he'll be back flipping burgers. Back flipping burgers. Did you see that? Oh, yes, I saw that. Right. <laughs> that it's was embarrassing. 
Usyk is hoping he will see Isaac Timlu win his British beef with Lawrence Okoli. Now, it says one of his quotes here, he, says, he, wants, um, he goes, he wants to improve to get better every day every, and every time we spar, and I've seen him get better and better step by step. I gave him a little bit of advice, especially if he asks, and he's definitely hits hard for a cruiserweight. Now that he's, he's been sparring Usyk. But if I'm going to go for a winner, I'll tell you what I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for Isaac Chamberlain because I think he's got more of a boxing brain than Lawrence Okoli. And I think Isaac Chamberlain is more technical. And I think he studies boxing a lot, if you can tell, with the way he fights. He may not have, he may not have, he may not have the power, but he's a very good boxer. He's like, he's one of those people that likes to box, box and move. And I think, I think, what is Isaac Chamberlain? I'm going to go for Chamberlain win by points. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you there. As I'm going with Chamberlain by points, um, that's actually the second most popular answer on our poll. And the listeners have actually gone with 45% of people going with a Coley by knockout. So, yeah, that's that's huge. It is it is close to a 50-50 fight, in my honest opinion. As you say there, Chamberlain, the sparring that that guy has done, and he really dedicates his life to boxing. He's got absolutely no social life whatsoever. I spoke to him earlier this week. I always speak to him every, every at least once a week. I'm always speaking to him. And, you know, he really is not even in the mood to to talk to me this week or the past couple of weeks he's not even I mean he's replying but he's, he's he doesn't want to talk about anything at all you know anything he doesn't want to have any kind of full-blown conversation I asked him does he want to come on the show he doesn't even want to come on the show he said we'll do it after the fight the guy is so 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 into this fight and it just goes to show how serious he's taking Lawrence Okoli. When he says, you know, he's going to beat him and, you know, his uncle said that if Isaac doesn't knock Okoli out, then he's going to give up boxing and all that stuff. It's just a bit of tongue-in-cheek. Isaac Chamberlain knows this is a huge, huge test and it's going to be the hardest fight of his life. So, you know, Isaac knows that. Isaac has got absolutely no social life and this, this is what he's been doing. He's just a complete gym rat. He's been sleeping gym, sleeping gym, a little bit of eating, sleeping gym, sleeping gym. That's all he's done, you know, eat, sleep and gym. And um, you've got to give him credit for that. I think he's took this extremely seriously. I know that Akoli has as well and, and he definitely should have and both men should, but Isaac has really shut himself off, and this is the first time I've seen him do this. He's really taking this seriously. He's even come off social media. He's got somebody controlling his social media. It's not even him on there. So, you know, he's really got his mind on it. That's what I'm saying. So we may see a completely different Chamberlain. Also, as you say there, he's been locked away with Alexander Usyk in training camp. Nobody's seen what's gone on there. Usyk himself is saying that he hits hard. Nobody would have said that beforehand. And also, Usyk's saying that he's improved every time. We haven't really had the chance to see it. I mean, he's knocked out his past three guys, but they haven't been any Lawrence Okolis in there. So intrigue is all I'm feeling. It is a pure intriguing fight. I'm happy that I'm going to be there in attendance. But for me, I think Isaac Chamberlain wins on points or... I think he possibly could win a late stoppage. But yeah, the, f- the first few rounds, Lawrence Okoli, and I think he will. I think he only fights one way. I think he's going to really put the pressure on Isaac. And I wouldn't, I don't want to say I wouldn't be shocked for an early stoppage for Okoli, but I think Okoli's going to throw everything at Isaac and try and unsettle him straight away. And if Isaac's made to fight, because that's the thing about Isaac, I think sometimes if the fight is not at his own pace, he can get a little bit you know, a little bit one-dimensional and look a little bit bad, you know? I think it's got to be at his pace, and I think he's got the ability to make it at his pace, but it's just a pure, intriguing fight. It really is. I just can't wait for Saturday. It's, it's a brilliant, brilliant fight. But moving over now stateside, moving over to the Bank of America Center in Texas, USA, one or two fights, three fights, four fights to mention here. Jose Benavidez, that's the brother of the super middleweight world champion, David Benavidez, he's 25 and oh, he takes on Matthew Strode, who's 24 and five. That's an eight rounder there. Um, Jesse Hart, former world title challenger, he's on this bill as well. His record 22 and one. He's in his first fight back since losing that world title fight to Gilberto Ramirez. He takes on Thomas Awimbono, who's 25 and seven with one draw, a bit of a padded record. Owen Bono, but that's a 10 rounder there. Also on the bill, the man that recently beat Jamie Conlon for the world title, Jerwin and Cajas. 
28 and 1 with one draw. He puts his IBF World Super Flyweight title on the line against Israel Gonzalez, who's 21 and 1. Haven't looked at him, to be honest, so I apologize for that. And the main event, Gilberto Ramirez himself, 36 and 0, looking to move to 37 and 0, really closing in on Deontay Wilder's unbeaten record now. He puts his WBO World Super Middleweight title on the line against Habib Ahmed, who's also undefeated, 25 and 0 with one draw. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think this one's on Box Nation as well. I'm pretty sure it is this Saturday. So yeah, for those guys that are going to be staying at home on Saturday, it's a fantastic night to stay at home on Saturday because you've got the Matchroom show on, you know, on on I think maybe about seven or something, but. Watch out, because it's not just on the main event Sky Sports channel. It's actually on the Arena or the Action channel. It's on like half an hour earlier on there. So don't miss the first half an hour. Um, And then obviously when it finishes a little bit later on in the evening, there's a few hours in between. If you've got a missus, you can show her a bit of attention in between, because that's how my missus gets. Gets a bit lonely. You've got to sort of, you know, divide your time equally or as equal as you can. And then you're ready for the Gilberto Ramirez card. Hopefully they show a couple of the undercard fights on that one. But yeah, back to the fight itself. Back to his opponent. Um, Habib Ahmed. I don't know too much about him. I'm just going to look at his resume right now. He's a guy from Ghana. He is 5'8". 5'8", that's incredibly short for a super middleweight. Really is short there. I mean, Gilberto Ramirez is six foot two and a half, but five eight's pretty short there. Um, I'm looking at the names here, and there's not fantastic names there. So for me, not that we've done the predictions on it, but yeah, for me, it's a probably quite quite an easy win there for Gilberto Ramirez. I would have preferred to see the Jesse Hart rematch. I don't think this guy's going to put up much of a fight. Twenty five and I with seventeen knockouts. The one draw came against a guy in 2016 who was three and seven. So that that kind of speaks for itself. Right, um, that's it for that bill. Moving over to the final bill, which is happening on Sunday in Japan. There's one fight to mention on this one. The WBC World Flyweight Champion Daigo Higa. Looking like he will be perhaps challenging... Um, Andrew Selby in the near future, even though I'm hearing rumours that Selby will be fighting for the EBU European title. But anyways, Daigo Higa, 14-0, takes on Moises Fuentes, who's 25-4 with one draw, a name that's been around that, you know, that, that flyweight kind of class for quite a while now. Fuentes, I can't remember who he's boxed, but he's definitely been on the end of my tongue a few times on this podcast fighting different guys. So I think that's quite a good fight. So uh, all the best in that one as well. But that really wraps up the previewing. We've tried to whisk for everything as quick as possible today. And uh, I hope that we've not been too long-winded. Especially with the uh, with the preview with the reviews early, I was a little bit long on that one, so I apologise. But yeah, that is the reviewing done. That is the news done. That's the previewing done. The first guest has been and gone. It's now time just before we wrap up the show and end part two. The last thing to do is to welcome our second multi weight world champion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former four weight world champion, Mr. Nanito Donaire. Nanito, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's always my pleasure, Nonito. It's always my pleasure. So we last spoke, Nonito, back in December 2016. Not a lot has really happened since then. Obviously, you've had just the one fight in which you took on Ruben Hernandez. You beat him unanimously over 10 rounds for the vacant WBC Silver title that was back in september obviously of of 2017 your next fight will be happening as we all know in the uk something that you told me last time was a dream of yours to you know to do a fight in the uk how happy are you to get that opportunity at this stage of your career nanito i'm i'm very happy um knowing that i'm fighting somebody really uh you know who has a big name and um you know, and was willing to fight me as well. So, um, you know, I'm I'm very happy to be to be out there with a big name in the UK. So, you know, it's it's, it's a big opportunity. And you've been linked with a few UK fighters now. I remember when we last spoke, you were talking a little bit of um, a possibility that you we could see you take on Scott Quigg. Obviously, that fight didn't happen. You're now going to be taking on Carl Frampton. Um, tell us, Nanita, what do you know about Carl Frampton, the fighter? I've I've seen some of his fights, you know. I've seen the Santa Cruz fight as well, and um, he's he's a uh, he's 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 very he's an overall fighter. He can he can fight, he can box, he can counter. So, you know, he's a he's a dangerous guy when when it really comes down to it, you know. But but aside from that, uh, we're very we're very excited at the same time. 
And Nanito, did you manage to catch his last fight at all? No, I, I didn't get that tape yet, but um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna once once I start camp, I'm gonna start going in, into tra- into training mode and, and watching the fight. Yeah, because his last fight, he really didn't look so good. A lot of people were very critical of him, and based on his his last performance, my personal prediction for this fight, I actually believe you're going to beat him. I truly do. I'm not just saying that because you're here. He looked really <laughs> not too good in his last fight, you know, but that's another matter. Um, I remember at the press conference, you mentioned the press conference the other week, you mentioned that you were given a very warm welcome in Belfast. How much has that meant to you personally as a travelling fighter, an away fighter in a city that loves Carframpton so much? You've been shown a lot of love over there. Yeah, that was incredible for me. Um, uh, you know, just a welcome and, and them welcoming to the gym, to their cafe, to, to their places. You know, it was incredible. Um, but you know, talking to Carl when we're at the um, press conference, he just said that this is what Belfast is. We respect good fighters, and they 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 respect you. So um, to me, that, that that meant a lot to me. I mean, I had to perform the best that I can, you know, um, to train out there, and and I know that they they respect Carl and love Carl because he's a good fighter as well. So you know, that's that it just brings a lot of excitement knowing that the guys are out there and, and you know, it, it's going to change during the, the, the fight, you know, they're, that's where they get right behind them and stuff like that. But for now, what they've shown has been incredible. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Over here, what everybody thought was actually going to happen was that Carl Frampton was, was going to probably fight the winner out of Lee Selby and Josh Warrington. Obviously those guys are fighting each other. That's been announced this week, but, um, you know, everybody thought that Carl would probably just take a keep busy fight in the meantime, somebody he could beat easily, and then he'd be around for the winner of that fight. So obviously, I was quite shocked when I saw that he's going to be taking you on. I think it's it's, it's caught the boxing world um, by surprise, really. In this fight, Nanito, if you can tell us, is there a rematch clause, or are you in position to take on the winner if if, if you were to win? Do you know at this stage? Um. Well, I'm I'm not sure about the contract um there might be uh hold on no problem rematch clause um yeah so i'm not i'm not really quite sure how how the the whole thing is i mean you know ringstar and all of them guys did that stuff so but it's it's confidential is what they tell me (laughs) (laughs) knowing that you know i'm doing those fighting so um yeah, so I'm just excited to be given the opportunity. You know, I've, I've never really delved into it. You know, um, yeah. Yeah, no problem. I think he'd be pretty smart to stick a rematch clause in. Obviously, it's a very, very risky fight. Um, in my eyes, Nanito, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've had so many big nights in boxing that I think it's kind of got to a stage now where you need a big challenge or a big fight to actually be fully you know, concentrated on your game. I feel like maybe you've not been as motivated previously in recent times. Is that fair to say? And if I'm right, is this the perfect fight that, you know, gets you motivated? I, I think so. I, you're you're completely right when it comes down to that. And I think that's why I took this fight. Well, I know that I took this fight because of, of, of all the disadvantage that I have knowing that, you know, there's a young guy here. There's It's in his place. And, you know, I, I, get, I got a lot of respect for the guy. I mean, it just it just has all the uh, the the formula to to get me out there, and I think that's why it, that's the same thing as him is is you know there's a, there's a tough guy in front of me, and and I need to be in my 100%. You know, I think we're both kind of in the same boat when it comes down to it that it's a must win, but then at the same time we pick the guys who's going to inspire us to to be at our best. And you've said to me previously, Nanito, that there's been a few fights in which you've just simply relied on one punch, which is your big left hook, and you've relied on that to end a fight, and sometimes it's you know it's played against you and you've ended up losing because of that. Do you believe that you will need much more than your left hook to beat a man like Carl Frampton? Oh, definitely. I, I think that he has to take back the time of how I used to to create strategies and... and, and and uh, set up, you know, and traps, you know, and counter as well. Not just one punch, but go out there and, and be a complete fighter like I have had, that I haven't seen in, in a long time. Okay, okay, certainly. And obviously you did a little bit of singing at the press conference. Carl Frampton came back with his own <laughs> singing. Did you see that? 
Yeah, I did. He, he could sing pretty good. well. I, yeah, he was. I, you know, it was a surprise to me. You know, for me, I'm, uh, you know, and his accent was gone when he was singing. I mean, it was it was incredible. I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed it. You know, I might come up with another song to challenge him. <laughs> you know, but but this is a sport that you know. That's why he's he's loved because he's he's out there. You know, it's nothing to be to do with being in the outside. It's what we're gonna do inside that that you know that that matters. But then when we're outside, you know, we're just we're just hanging out. You know. Maybe I might have a beer after the fight with him, <laughs> you know. Yeah, put a karaoke machine in that room as well, and I'm sure you'll have a fantastic that, time. The pair of you. <laughs> oh, that's that's exactly it. That's exactly. It. You're welcome to, to join us, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and finally, the last couple of questions, Nanito. Um, you don't have to give us one if you don't want to, but do you have any kind of prediction for this fight? How will you win come April 21st? Well, I haven't I haven't put my whole game plan yet to see how uh, I can I can look at his uh, disadvantage, his his flaws that that you know that allows me to to because uh, I, I mean I always go out there for something big, you know I always go out there. I, I never really want to go to the decision because that's just how I am. I I, I like to leave no man standing, you know if if it's me or if it's him. It's always been that way with me. So, you know because that's just how I am as a warrior, as a fighter, um, but. Prediction-wise, um, not really the type to to give the prediction. I'm just gonna go out there, give it all I got, you know, and victory. That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> no, of course, of course, of course. And just before I let you go, Nanito, um, anything that you want to say at all to the UK fans that may be listening? Well, uh, I'm grateful for this opportunity. Um, this is a fight that it's a must-watch. I mean, you got two fighters who's willing to take the fight to each other without a belt, you know. This is how bad and respected we we have for each other. But most of all, we're we're gonna go out there to prove something uh, for what I have and what he has to prove. I mean, that's we have everything on the line on this fight, and this is gonna be one of the biggest fights or most exciting fight you guys will see. So, again, it's gonna be exciting. So I want to thank you guys again for this opportunity. Excellent, thank you very much. And um, just before I let you go, actually, Nanita, I, I just want to quickly tell the listeners this. Um, when we last spoke to Nanito, it was back in December of 2016. It was on the Christmas special show, and it was a very different Nanito than there. Back then, he wasn't really in fight mode. He was dropping a lot of spiritual stuff. It was a really interesting, long, in-depth interview. And at the end, he was talking He was talking with some brilliant words. If, if anybody hasn't heard it, go back and listen to that. It's absolutely golden. And at the very end, people don't know this, but um, I stayed up pretty late to uh, pretty late to, to, to interview Nanito. And at the end, I said, I'm, you know, I've got to go to sleep now. I'm really tired. And Nanito said, Joey, close your eyes. Close your eyes. I'm going to throw a left hook. And I'm telling you, I felt the left hook and I was asleep in five seconds. That's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. See, you felt it. You felt the energy, man. <laughs> yeah, Nanito, But I remember, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that you stayed up and, and yeah, and he was like, oh, you know, we'll do it tomorrow when you're ready. And you're like, no, I'm up. I'm still up. So I stayed up. So we did it then. So, yeah, that was that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, Nanito, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. You know that. Best of luck for April 21st, and we'll catch up again after, I'm sure. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me, Joe. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 120 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A big thank you to our two amazing guests on this week's show, the two-weight world champion, Badu Jack, and the four-weight world champion himself, Mr. Nonito Donaire. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to the listeners for making this podcast as great as it is. Please remember, if you do get a chance, to leave us a review on iTunes, as I cannot put into words how much we appreciate those they really do mean a lot the prediction league currently stands at myself on 17 points I as on 20 points but you the listeners in the lead with 21 points best of luck with the predictions everybody enjoy your weekends and we'll see you next week